yeah. Historical shit. That's not our new theme song. Um, Please, or no. it is. Jordan, <laughs> Jordan, redo it. No. Um, no, we love it. We love it. Um, welcome to Historical Shade, everyone. Um, the podcast where Julie and I uh, tell you some shady topics in history. Uh, yeah. So um, we like to start off by saying we're not historians. Correct nope. us. Uh, we also know that history is definitely written by the victors or the people who like, I wrote about it first, therefore I am the authority. And it's like, nah. Um, so yeah, so correct us, let us know. Uh, let's have a dialogue. You can also leave voice messages on our anchor if you just want us to put you in the podcast. Um, I'm waiting for someone to do it. I'm so excited. I know, I'm going to need first. someone to do that. Ah, um, yeah. So Julie's gonna, gonna take us through a tale today and I have no idea what it's about. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, because I, I sort of like gave you a red herring and yeah. texted you about one that I was going to talk about. Um, and I started researching that one and, and yeah. that'll, I'll, I will do, but I forgot that I had this one ready to go. And <gasps> I, um, yeah, so this, so this is about Emily, I guess, Emily Paul <laughs> Marie Violette Morris. Oh, so she's German. Are you making fun of me? And no, doing... <laughs> no, I just because that's Are the you... most French name I've ever heard. In my life. <laughs> How I always feel compelled to like do the accent, Emily. Uh, so, so Emily, Emily, uh, I'm gonna call her Morris. Um, I'm gonna pause so... for a second and just say that I am sitting on a yoga ball, and every once in a while, when I move, it makes a slight fart sound. So it's not me, listeners. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> Because I did it, and I was like, I have to, if it happens again. Anyway, it's a good day. Continue. Emily. There are some podcasts that record in studios. We record <laughs> we are not. over video meeting apps on balls. Um, do you know who else did that? My favorite murder did it via Zoom a few times. So. Oh, really? Okay, I feel yeah. better. Yeah. Um, speaking of balls. Yes! Um, Emily Paul Marie. Violette Morris did not have any, uh, okay. but she uh, she dressed like a man, and so that's sort of the the crux of this story. Um, and I, I was sort of uh, led to this because I was rehearsing a show about Charles Hamilton, who was somebody else in history, um, the Fielding story, the the ideal husband or whatever. It's oh, okay. It's like based on that person in history, but like totally fictional his account mm -hmm. um and while at the same time i was reading that play and preparing for that show i was watching the show harlots which if you have not seen this show see this show people it's, it's so, so good weird. it's such a strong cast they're all just so wonderful and the story is fascinating mm -hmm. um and that guy from game of thrones isn't it who always plays like questionable moral people where you're like mm, I could mm. you. he has a shady face but yeah, like in a good way yeah and he has his voice mm. anyway i am getting off track so let's talk about emily marie violette maurice i'm going to get frencher and frencher every time i say her name <laughs> you'll just have a beret on that knowing <laughs> she's a baguette i got yep all of it <laughs> So to give you sort of like a, a history and a context about uh, what we're going into with her is that um, on November 7th, 1800, 
the law entitled Ordinance Concerning Women's Mode of Dress was enacted and that banned women from wearing any form of menswear in Paris. So it required women to seek official permission from the police if they wanted to dress like a man and to provide medical reasons for doing so. And so this was issued after the French Revolution uh, when women, working class women were demanding the right to wear trousers in their fight for equal rights. And the revolution was sort of the catalyst all, for all of that. And because it, you know, unleashed the power of women. Uh, in January 1789, they sent, uh, why do I choose things in other languages? They sent the Petition des Femmes du Tiers Etat au Roi. Okay, that might have actually been the best thing I've ever pronounced en français. And this was the petition of women of the third estate to the king. So this was a pamphlet that was addressed to Louis XVI and called for better working conditions and education equality. Mm -hmm. uh, they also, on the morning of October 5th, 1789, um, so yeah they played a leading role moving the revolution forward by marching over the high price and the scarcity of bread so they were joined by revolutionaries and the demonstration called the women's march on versailles resulted in the siege of the palace and the end of the monarchy so i just want to point out that it was the women that did that hey women's marches man getting stuff done I took a unnecessary pause here because as I was doing this research, I wrote a note to myself at that part that said, if Laura does not start singing, do you hear the people sing from May Les Mis? I don't know her after all. Well, here's the thing. Wrong revolution. So. <sighs> <laughs> Wait, it, how many revolutions do they have in France? Uh, two. Oh I mean, God. they had have had billions, but that was um, the revolution in Les Mis takes place in the 1830s. Okay, France, get your shit together. Mm -hmm. Julie, also take the same note. Get your shit together. <laughs> <laughs> so, but Scarlet Pimpernel. Oh boy, <laughs> I I'm not going to sing Scarlet Pimpernel. I don't know that music. It's good. Was that one of the ones David Hasselhoff was in? No, no, no. But he was in Jekyll and Hyde, which was also Frank Wildhorn. Frank Wildhorn did Scarlet Pimpernel. Okay. That's the kind of connection. <laughs> Eventually we'll do a secondary podcast called Musical Shade. Yeah. So the abolition of privilege and the definition of individual freedoms that came with the revolution still sort of skewed to the men. It did not put an end to the male domination. Mm -hmm. And in addition to that, this growing power of women, the men, of course, feared that. Yes, it's terrifying. They, yeah, we're, we're terrifying. So they prohibited women's organizations and political meetings. Mm -hmm. and, and it was about this time that women were legally forbidden to wear trousers as a way, essentially, of preventing them from challenging men's role in society and limit their access to certain jobs. Yeah, like the, the history of just the skirt is fascinating because mm -hmm. one of the reasons like it wasn't until the car came along that they started lifting up the the like hemline because you couldn't get into a car 
Um, but before then it was like, it was a good way to make sure women couldn't move as quickly. Mm-hmm. Like they were, but I'm not a fight the patriarchy person, like to an extreme. I think there is an issue with it, et cetera. But it is very interesting to look at our history and be like, they literally demobilized females by yeah. fashion. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, clothing in general it's it's interesting like the implications and the symbolism like during the revolution um the the trousers the pants that we think of those were worn by the lower class fighting for the revolution knee breeches and culottes were worn by the bourgeoisie and so trousers became like this emblem of the revolutionary and it stood for a new social order defined by the values of liberty equality and fraternity and also became a symbol of power. There, men were the citizens, therefore only men could wear trousers. I, not that this is like related, but it is. But it's interesting now that like I, I've been fighting a lot of my personal battle of wearing comfortable clothes around the house. Because mm-hmm. I think that there's a lot to like, a lot of like lies or stories that I tell myself about like, oh, well you need to like, put tons of effort into your appearance and tons of effort means like jeans or a skirt or to, and it's like my fabletics not a sponsor but like oh my gosh but what like they so good sponsor. but of the, oh, all the time but like to get to the point where I was allowing myself to be comfortable and then that like zooming out and going like, why am I not allowing myself to be comfortable in what I wear? And also like just my life and it, it how clothes symbolize a lot in our lives. Oh yeah. Um, and how I think that there's an interesting thing with athleisure wear now becoming like, you're allowed to be comfortable and still look good and it's okay. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and even just thinking about like, um, rules of like, what is appropriate to wear and stuff. I, I, mm-hmm. w- this is a little off topic. We'll get back to no, it. No, no, no. Um, it's all about pants. But I was, I was rehearsing a show, mm-hmm. um, at a not to be named area, but so we're rehearsing the show and the location that we were moving to where mm-hmm. our stage was, um, there were still uh, construction workers in the area. Mm-hmm. And so, and it was hot. It was mm-hmm. summer in Florida. Yeah. Um, and, and we were told that women, um, that the area, in order to not distract the men and make the, the work proceed on time, we were literally being told this. And I'm, I'm still really upset with myself that I didn't go to HR. Um, but we were told the women could not wear shorts or um, leggings, like too tight, like pants that were too tight. Whereas no, no rules were put on the men. So we are standing outside and we're out there, you know, eight hours a day doing these rehearsals while the men are like in shorts or car, you know, like whatever was comfortable for them. And I just like, Every time I think back about that experience, I'm like, God, Julie, you should have said something. And I think it was just like, there was so much going on with everything else. And I was so overwhelmed. And we were in a place because we were rehearsing a new experience and and like nobody wanted to rock the boat. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, you know, when you're younger, you're like, you always think like, I would be the person that would stand up to things. And I'm like, I had that opportunity and I didn't. 
Yeah. And, and just the, the interesting thing of like, but if the work's not getting done on time, that has nothing to do with anyone, but the people doing the work. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, you know who didn't give a fuck about that stuff? Emily. Emily par Marie Violette Maurice. I'm wearing a turtleneck now, folks. <laughs> so she was born into a family uh, with military connections on her father's side going back to the revolution. That does not inform the story in any way. I just think it's interesting. Mm-hmm. So even as a teenager, Violette was a notable pugilist. Um, which, fun fact, do you know what a pugilist is? No, tell me. Hence my quizzical. Yeah, it's a boxer. Oh! Like, I... It just sounded so fancy, like you're like a literary scholar. No, it's a boxer. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, she was also outstanding in swimming, cycling, and water polo. Uh, in nineteen, right. yeah, in nineteen thirteen, <laughs> she came in fifth in the eight kilometer French swimming contest, and she was the only female com- competitor as well. So that's a big deal. In nineteen fourteen, at the age of twenty, she married a man named Cyprien Guerreau. Mm-hmm. I think the D is silent. It's been a while since French. Um, in parentheses, it said in the article I was reading, the marriage was probably arranged. <laughs> <laughs> I believe you. Yeah. So soon after World War One begins and Cyprien, uh, he goes to fight. And uh, the so they had a boxing gym and it was transformed into a Red Cross center. She signed on to become an ambulance driver and courier, and she became very valuable to the French cause, um, serving at the battles of Verdun and the Somme. Julie, just pick something in America next time. Crikey. Uh, So historian and author Anne Seba says, it was really driving over rough and dangerous terrain past the trenches, collecting stretchers of bloody soldiers. It was absolutely critical to get the seriously wounded French soldiers to the hospital fast. And that she discovered she was really extremely good and extremely fearless. So after the war, Morris decided to give up her husband. They eventually divorced. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But interestingly, she doesn't give up her uniform. So she just continues wearing the trousers from her Red Cross uniform. Mm Mm-hmm. So in 1917, she returns to championship athletics. She sets the first French record for shot put. Um, so then the, the first women's world games are in Monte Carlo in 1921. And that's mm-hmm. where that she establishes that record for shot put and also javelin. So she's still wearing her pants at this point. Is she the only female athlete wearing pants? Uh, it didn't say if anybody else was, but she's okay. the only, for sure, she's the only French athlete wearing pants. Okay. Oh, yes, yes, correct. So in 1922, at the second female Olympics, she sets records again. She comes in second in the thousand meter swimming, and she also won a cycling race. Um, also, super cash, she takes up motor racing. She's the only woman that enters, and she comes in fourth at the Bull Door. Mm-hmm. So she's really like rising in this like sports world, like just the entire sports industry. She's got a hand in everything. And so her rise also coincided with the 
creation of this organization, the Fédération Française Sportive Feminine. I really the Federation of French Women's Sports. Mm, yeah, female yeah. athletes. Yeah. So, uh, according to this and uh, to Anne Seba again, this federation was intended to promote the idea of sport as healthy discipline. That sport would make young girls be better mothers. That sport would give them rosy cheeks and things like that. Um, that it was just something they should do while they were young. And if they played a sport, they became healthy. And then, of course, they'd have lots of children. Oh, so they could get pregnant and then get, like, once you're married, you can just let yourself go. Yeah. So you this... Be healthy after the kids. <laughs> so this entire organization... You've done your part. Right? The, like, the entire purpose of this organization would be like, hey, it's really important that you have babies and stuff. Um, so all, like, all this is going on. And at, at no point did she apply for what is called the Permission de Travestissement, which is essentially um, from the prefect of the police. And it says that women, if someone is going to wear pants, um, it has to be a uniform or it has to be some sort of uh, health reason which they don't go into detail about like what is the health, re like what health reason, but like that health reason, it would have to be um, with the certificate of a medical officer. So you can't just be like, oh, I really, I really need to do this. And if you don't get permission, a woman found guilty of transvesting who has not complied with the foregoing provisions can be arrested and taken to their prefecture of the police. So this, yeah. So this ordinance was was created in 1800. Mm -hmm. um, so so we're in the 1920s now. So they haven't gotten rid of the rule, but also like no one's really applying. Like yeah, people are wearing pants. Let's be honest. Yeah. Um, well, in other countries are too. Like yeah, yeah. So she was a bold woman. She had her hand in a lot of sports. Uh, she had a, a football team, which mm -hmm. in the Americas, soccer. And there were some allegations that she gave amphetamines to younger players. Um, in 1926, she was also indefinitely suspended from football because she used her name to recruit female athletes for a film. Um, but yeah, so like she, she was not a perfect, wonderful human. Yeah, they, none of us it, are. Right, and I think it's important to see that she did these things because they didn't have a problem with it. Because in 1927, uh, that organization, the Fédération Française Sportive Feminine, the FFSF, they notified her that she was suspended for the, and I, I'm like quote fingering these violations and for wearing male clothes. Mm -hmm. uh, and you'll, you'll understand why in a bit. Cause when I read that, I was like, why well, I, she did some crappy things if that's true. So I, yeah. I could understand why she would be suspended for giving amphetamines. Yeah. Um, and they said, and in her response, she said, there's nothing to my knowledge unseemly about male clothing. I am bound by prey. Um, 
I am bound by my professional obligations and by the laws of the French Republic, but they do not prevent me. Nothing and nobody can forbid me to dress in a way that you will agree is still decent. Like she's, she's just wearing pants. Yeah. It's not like she's wearing like crotchless or assless chaps. Yeah. Another quote directly from her is look around and see what you see. See the woman with their knees crossed and then ask yourself, which is more immodest, their scanty dresses or my pants. Oh, what? So she's like, mm, look at those girls. Yeah, you so, can see them skirts. <laughs> yeah, because the, the best way to respond to like someone being crappy to you and throwing shade to you is to then distract them by throwing shade to other people. <laughs> no. No. No, it's not the best. <laughs> uh, surprisingly, not at all. The, the <laughs> argument does not convince them and she's expelled from the FS. F, oh my gosh, FFSF. <laughs> And thereby, all French championships, including the French team for the Olympics, where she was expected to win gold medals. Oh. Yeah, so she does not go to the 1928 Olympics in Amsterdam. Uh-huh. And uh, although, I mean, there were women's events included, she's not on the team. So I wonder what, like, the, the country's thought was because you know we have some pretty uh, like in modern times we have some pretty big players that every once in a while get suspended for things and like some like rough things that people are still like well they can still play like people will defend them because they're a good player even though they're like a horrible human so I wonder if there were a lot of people going like let her wear pants she's gonna win us the gold (laughs) like what are you doing we need this yeah everyone's like boo she wears pants she got what she deserved. Well, and, and and like to be honest, it 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 does feel personal because she's been wearing pants this whole time. Yeah. And then they're like, "Oh, you can't wear pants." So she actually sues them. Oh. Um, she sues them for reinstatement and a hundred thousand francs in damages. Mm. So. Her case was against the arbitrary use of power. The entire trial focuses on her right to wear male clothing. They're like, we're not gonna, we don't, we don't care about the amphetamines. Um, There was like a rumor that she had like punched someone in the face. Like there's all these rumors about like legitimately not (laughs) okay things they did. The whole trial was about the men's clothing. Yeah. Um, So her male lawyer defended the inherent decency of trousers and questioned why trousers had been okay with the FFSF, I can only say it so, for 10 years, but no longer. Mm-hmm. So their, their sort of like comeback is that she was uh, cross-dressing to attract attention. And they noted how female clothing had evolved from the long skirts and corsets of the pre-war era. So like, well, but you can move now. Yeah. Uh, they portrayed her as being- yeah, they're scorner. You're like scammo. Yeah. They portrayed her as being a moral danger in female locker rooms. And they circled back to that. Yeah. They circled back to that permission de travestissement and said she had never even applied for that. Mm-hmm. So in response, um, the lawyer actually, he produces a letter from the commissioner of police giving assurance they they don't pursue women in trousers anymore so like the the crux of this argument of like well she didn't she didn't get permission from the police the police are like dude it's 
it's 1928. We don't care anymore. Like it's just a law. Um, Doesn't fly. There's something like in Pennsylvania, I think it's it's one of the states I've lived in where oral sex is against the law. But it's like, yeah, no, nobody, we're not following up on that. Nobody's (laughs) knocking on your door. There's a, there's a term for that, that I learned later in this and I'm really excited to okay. share Okay. Right. And I don't want to, I don't want to reveal the term now. Okay. But I love that. Yay! <laughs> um, so essentially FFSF is like, we don't have to deal with how she dresses in the city and her other op- occupations, but we believe that to wear trousers is not a permitted by custom for women and we have every right to prohibit it. So they were like, their argument was, it's against the law. You didn't get permission. And they were like, well, here's a letter from the law saying we don't need permission. And their response was like, well, we don't care if you're following the law or not because we for, we forbid it. So it was like this, like argument eating itself. Where it should have, in theory, it could have just been like, Hey, this is the uniform we need all of our athletes to wear. Yeah. Like you, yeah, you could have had a solution without being a dick. Yeah. That's um. a good lesson for <laughs> life. Ever. Uh, you could have had a solution without being, being a dick. dick. <laughs> so true. <laughs> um, so the, the court dismisses the case and all the awards kind of costs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so <laughs> there is just some quotes from her during the trial. She said, we live in a country rotten by money and scandals governed by phrases scoundrels and troublemakers governed by phrases is also oh oh my god that's beautiful uh she said this country of small people is not worthy of its elders not worthy to survive one day its decadence will lead him to be a rank of a slave but i if i am still here i will not be one of the slaves believe me that's not in my temperament so obviously she's like real bitter with france now uh, so bitter that in 1936, uh, Hitler invites her to Berlin oh, girl. to watch the Olympics as an honored guest. Uh, mm-hmm. Nazi officials believed they could turn her into a spy, and they were right. <laughs> yep. Oh. Shit. Yeah. Oh. oh. She was like, you gonna screw me over? Mm-hmm. Hold my beer. <laughs> uh, so she returns to France after the games. She continues to correspond with the Nazis. She's driving around the country in her little race car, uh, gathering information about French troops and the Maginot lines, fortifications. After the Nazi invasion of France, she remains close to them. Uh, well, and she was a French, she was a part of the French war effort in world war one so she had all of her friends that probably came back for world war two or knew at that point knew like officers they're probably just little yeah. soldiers like with her there's no such thing as a lowly soldier but you know what i mean like bottom ranks and then by the time world war two happened they probably climbed ranks and they're still besties Ooh, oh man continue okay uh it, so there's sort of like some question about uh, sort of her exact role. Um, and and this is one description of what she did. And I want to note it's from a French biographer because I think that comes, uh, I'm going to address that a little bit later. But according to one French biographer, she became a Nazi torturer with the nickname the Hyena of the Gestapo. Ooh. 
because she laughed. Apparently, she derived so much sadistic pleasure from torturing people and extracting information. So she is she has some connection to the Nazis. Um, mm-hmm. We don't exactly know what, but what we do know is that gearing up for D-Day, um, there's a kill list. Yeah. Essentially, and Morris's name is on it. So the Maquis, which is the part of the French Revolution, or the French Resistance, rather, they're the ones carrying out the assassination. Mm-hmm. So on April 16th, or April 26th, 1944, the Maquis spot her just driving through Normandy. Um, and she's not alone. She's in a car with a family, in the car is a family with two children. They fire oh. on her anyway. Oh. They kill yeah. everyone in the car, including Morris. Uh, so the reason I mentioned the thing about the French biographer is that uh, Anne Seba, this, the author, um, she has not found any proof that Morris tortured. And other historians have pointed out that these allegations may have been played up by the French to justify killing those kids. Yeah. So everyone's just sort of like lying away. <laughs> But I mean, um, that makes sense, though, because she's on a, if she's on a kill list, you're like, we, we have to get her. They kill a whole bunch of kids and they have to make it seem right justified. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's her illustrious end. Um, in terms of the law about pants, there were attempts in both 2004 and 2010 to have the law repealed. It's uh, still there? It, it it does eventually get repealed, but okay. not like very recently. So the uninf- the reason they didn't get rid of it is uh, they said it was to it was trivial, and repealing it would mean quote removing a piece of judicial archaeology. I want to flip this table so much. So that blowjob law is judicial archaeology. So they're, they're like, yeah, this is like a really, like, this isn't a good thing. This is a shitty thing. And in the entire purpose of this law is to hold down women. But it's, it's archaeology. It's history. We can't tear down this history of a law. <laughs> it's because it's something that they can get someone with if they've got nothing else and they just don't like them. Yeah, so it wasn't until the 31st of January in 2013 that this law was declared null and void. Isn't that crazy? That's insane. That is stupid. That is so stupid. And like, you know, this idea of, well, people weren't following the law, so who cares anyway? People weren't following the law in 1928 either. Yeah. And this woman was like stripped of her job over it when they could have easily... Like, if she had done all the other stuff she potentially did, they could have gotten rid of her that way. But they used this because it was a law. Yeah. Judicial archaeology. That's bullshit. It's bullshit. Judicial, yeah. So that is the story of Emily Paul-Marie-Violette Morris. Uh, And so I I got a lot of information about an article, um, from an article on (gasps) WBUR.org. Um... I'm going to use them later. <laughs> yeah. Are you really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. 
So Anne Seba wrote an art, a book, well, she's written many books, but the um, book that I just ordered today, spoilers, because now I can't wait to read it, is Les Parisiennes. Is that the one? That's a different cover than the one I got. No, yeah. It's Les Parisiennes, How the Women of Paris Lived, Loved, and Died Under Nazi Occupation. Oh, I can't wait. Oh, I can't wait. Uh, I... Yeah, I also uh, used Zagria Dap. Week. All right. Well, important question. Is um. We can cut all this out. Yeah, it's taking too long. Okay. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Unpause. Uh. Okay. So this is my kind of silly future light. Um. I really like to theme presents mm -hmm. when uh I create them and like have like a theme every year. And this year I had bought uh, tickets for some events for Mike and one is in March and then the others in April. Um, and I kind of got this like last minute idea the other day of what if I find an activity to do every month? <gasps> and so, and it's like, it's like some of them are not, you know, like I'm not spending thousands of dollars or anything. Mm -hmm. Like one of them is I'm taking him to Boston Athenaeum on like every second Saturday of a month. Mm -hmm. It's, it's free. Um, except for like a $2 donate, but it's like the tour is free mm -hmm. and then you just pay like a couple. So like, I'm going to take them. We're doing a tour of the art and architecture of the Boston Athenaeum. And that's like our January event. So I'm going to make like a cool little like list of like the months and like the cool thing we're going to do. So it's going to be like a year of dates. And I'm trying to be like real absurd about some of these. Like I'm just looking up like events in Boston, like every month. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm getting creative. So that's my future light. I'm, I'm like really excited to share that with him on Christmas. Oh, that's awesome. Mine is kind of similar. So I just found, um, I've been really interested in Atlas Obscura's like story section, but I found that if you, uh, Google a city, you can find weird things to do just like weird off the wall shit. And I have a few friends, um, that literally within two weeks time was like, I'm pregnant, I'm pregnant. And none of them live near me, but they're all going to have babies around the same time. So I'm going to go and like see them and their kids and all that and they're new ones um but i was like what if while i'm in like my one friend in texas like what if for when i'm there what am i gonna do so yeah yeah so i would also recommend that that was my future light is like atlas obscura has weird shit like i typed in pittsburgh oh, I today that. and i was like what 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 yeah i love that yeah ah. we'll, we'll have to post pictures of all our fun our fun tours of things Yes. I mean, we need to post on our Instagram, our Hancock Memorial. Oh pictures. my God, you're right. Oh, get ready <gasps> listeners. Anyway, <laughs> thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Bye.
And you can follow us on Instagram at historical underscore shade or Facebook at historical shade. We don't have a Twitter. Thanks, Julie. <laughs>